You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com, and I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, times are busy indeed with work, family, and very interesting times that we're in today. Who has time to pick up a book and read it? Well, you do. We're all better off reading to be informative, to learn something new and valuable, or even just to kick back and read for leisure, simply to enjoy. Well, to a special show today, I have uh, a meetup with Chris Luttrell, sergeant and leader of police in the great Northwest. He's a detective, a task force member and leader under the U.S. Marshal and now host of his own podcast called Two Feet on the Ground. Gravity is gravity your subset? Yes, sir. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm a huge fan of the Policing Matters podcast. I appreciate you. You've invested in me both as an article writer uh, for policeone.com and then also as I've uh, talked with you about this idea of hosting a podcast. So uh, thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And your articles are awesome on Police One. Look up Chris Luttrell on um, what a new sergeant should look like and and other great tips for, for leaders in law enforcement. So today, totally different, different format. We're going to talk about books. And each one of us uh, we'll present three books, uh, industry related and three books just for leisure. Um, that's six books a piece, no rules, just a bit about them, why we like them, and maybe why they may be something worthwhile for you to check out as well. So Chris, you're the guest. Why don't you start out with your first industry book, and then we can alternate after that. Go for it. I like it. Thanks, brother. Hey, the first one I wanted to talk about was Warrior. I, the author of it is Dr. Shauna Springer. Uh, she is a leader in post-traumatic stress injury, both in the military and first responder realm. She's doing some cutting, cutting edge uh, therapies that are helping a lot of our veterans. What I love about her book, Warrior, is uh, she talks about tribe. And that's what really resonated with me is that within law enforcement, you know, we, we develop these, these close-knit communities uh, that are really forged in what happens on the street. And, and we're very protective of our close-knit community. And, and she really dives into how the family members of first responders can, recognizing the, the importance of tribe, both within the family unit and the, the work unit, uh, how, how we can help each other out. And she just, she clearly, from her, the way she describes uh, the way first responders and military folks think, she clearly has spent time in the trenches with veterans, with first responders, love the work that she's doing. Uh, I had a, a veteran buddy, a Marine Corps vet, who's a firefighter now, and he's the one that recommended it to me and just an absolutely remarkable book. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I've, I've heard of Warrior and I will definitely check it out. Well, my first industry book is actually written by one of my guests on the show on Policing Matters. It's Concepts of Non-Lethal Force by Los Angeles Sheriff Commander Sid Heal. He's been just a leader. He's been somewhat of a mentor to me in, in as far as he's been the industry leader uh, on less lethal force. And it's really needed right now. I think every new uh, leader, everybody from officer up to the highest rank within your agency should read this book. It's a good, it's a quick read. I think it's uh, 170 pages. But concepts of non-lethal force, understanding force from shouting to shooting, uh, Sid Heal really gets into 
the different types of force available, why they're needed, when they're needed. He goes into some history. He talks about um, the, the, the difference in force from 20 years ago to now. And he says things like this, uh, and I'm quoting, although it may take on any number of forms, it can be described as voodoo science. Voodoo science is a catch-all term for any junk science that misleads or mischaracterizes the evidence. Simply put, much of the science cited by detractors of non-lethal options is either fundamentally flawed, misunderstood, mischaracterizes the evidence, or ignores influences beyond the control of the user. And uh, Chris, you and I have talked about this before. We've got to fight this, the voodoo science. Uh, what people are saying doesn't work and how brutal it is and, and how it's wrong. And we've seen the loss of some non-lethal forces throughout the last two years. Um, many have, uh, many agencies have stopped using the carotid. Uh, some have uh, taken away the taser or the uh, electrical uh, device weapon. And essentially you're, you're whittling down the force options to physical force where either the suspect or the officer or both can be injured and leading up to lethal force where something the offender does uh, creates a situation where you're just left to uh, the, the firearm and that's no good. And so we've seen the emergence of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We know the Gracie family has really taken on the mantle of passing on some physical skills, training and, and use of force uh, that's been certified by dozens of states posts so far. And, and I'm really looking forward to that being implemented uh, nationwide. But uh, Sid Heal really breaks it down and talks about um, when we use force and why. And I think it's great advice for leaders. Just came out uh, in the last two years. And uh, if you, you want to hear more from Sid Heal, listen to our show uh, or check out his book, uh, Concepts of Nonlethal Force. And uh, it's from Charles Sid Heal. Now, thanks for that one. I, I haven't read that. I wrote it down. You know, I look at it as junk wisdom. Uh, it's kind of like junk food, right? It tastes good. It tastes good, but it really isn't good for our bodies. And I think this, the same applies to some of the uh, ideologies that are out there right now. And uh, I think we do need to come together and have some honest conversation about how to do it better. We're not perfect, right? Within law enforcement. And we, we want to do it better. But some of the restrictions, I think, are really making it harder for officers to, to do great police work and keep our community safe. Uh, is it my turn? I like it. So, uh, hey, friend, my next one, and this one is going to apply. I have, uh, it's, a, it's a book that I use in a leadership course I teach for the state of Washington. Uh, it's uh, Crucial Conversations and uh, lots of different authors, Patterson, Greeny, uh, McMillan, and uh, Switzler. And it, in, in, in Crucial Conversations, they talk about, uh, they recognize the fact that we have these really tough conversations that need to take place in life. And typically, there's a lot at stake. And, and so when the lot's at stake, we, we have to recognize that if we can establish mutual purpose and mutual trust, we can say a lot of things. If I can identify, hey, this is a really important conversation I want to have. You and I both believe this. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We both believe this. Awesome. All right. And I really respect your opinion. And I, I, I want to hear what you have to say, but I need to say some things to you too. 
uh, we can we can say an awful lot. Uh, I've seen it in uh, since I read the book. I I've implemented it into my family life, uh, and I've used it with my daughters. Uh, I've used it with my wife, and it's not manipulation. It is genuine. We genuinely have a mutual purpose here. We genuinely uh, respect each other and have this mutual respect and have a trust factor. And I've seen conversations just improve dramatically. Now, I've failed uh, horribly at it as well. Uh, but every time I fail at it, I remember, darn it, the principles from crucial conversations. So I think every police leader, and I say leader, and I mean line level officer to chief executive should read it. I had a city manager one time that looked me in the eye and said, Chris, you realize that that line level police officers, they're the equivalent of supervisors across the board everywhere else in all other functions of, of our city government because they respond to emergencies and everyone looks at them as the leader to solve the problem, to bring uh, restore peace, uh, to bring clarity to the situation. And uh, that's why I say I believe it's important for all leaders from line level officers to CEOs of, of law enforcement organizations. Terrific. I'm going to take a look at that for sure. Um, sounds like I've padded my list, but in 2021, Catherine Schweit was on the podcast. She wrote the book called Stop the Killing, How to End the Mass Shooting Crisis. Um, I don't have an actual copy, but I've seen excerpts. I've seen her uh, table of contents and uh, more and more. I've listened to her on, a, on another podcast where she talks about stopping mass shootings. She's just terrific. She's got 30 years with the FBI, uh, executive uh, leader of a team that looked at over 160 shootings and the causes and the contributions and really some good insight and real practical um, things to talk about as, in, in, as opposed to um, you know the politicization of mass shootings. She's not about strictly gun control. She's not about strictly uh, taking guns from the mentally ill. She's not talking about uh, the things that we usually hear when we talk about how to end mass shootings. And she really uses the science in talking about the commonalities, the similarities, the trends, the things that we should look at for the see something, say something, and how valuable that is and how um, in law enforcement, we really need to take up the lead from the tips from see something, say something, and follow them through. I mean, how often have we heard after a mass shooting that we actually got a tip about this person and we didn't do a whole lot besides a cursory look at it? She goes into detail in the um, terrorists or, or the threat assessment team. She calls them TATS. Um, the the threat assessment teams, how they should be made up, what to look for, how to use them. And um, you know, she talks about 90% of the investigations really being just you know, a good look at the information, but that 10% that need the extra attention. So kudos to Catherine Schweit and, and what she's done and the, the, the perceptions and the perspectives that she brings to a really important issue in law enforcement today. And um, I'll turn it over to you. What, what do you got for your number two? Number, number three. Three. Yeah, I'm already three. on three. Hey, again, I'm kind of stepping outside the mold here a little bit in that a number of these books aren't written by 
law enforcement professionals, but The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath is another book that I've used in, uh, in my job. And, and in the book, they talk about the John Deere Corporation and how they, they take advantage of the first day of work. They take advantage of it because they recognize that that first day of work is going to be this memorable moment where we can cause people to feel emotionally connected to this organization or not. And, and at my law enforcement agency in, in Washington State, my chief does a remarkable job of the first day of work. Uh, he, everyone's wearing their uniform. Uh, we bring in the family. Pre-COVID, we brought in the news stations. And, and he, he takes, takes the moment to, to say some powerful words in, in that event that, that are not only for the, the new officer, but are for every single police officer and citizen in the room reminding them the importance of not tarnishing the badge. And again, you don't have to be a, a chief of police or a sheriff to do this well. If you're a first line supervisor, and at my agency, uh, our, our, our officers didn't get their business card with their name printed on it until they got off probation. And what I found was that what really happened was about six months after they got off probation, they would come to their sergeant and be like, hey, boss, when do I get a business card? And they'd be like, oh, you haven't gotten any yet? Oh, let, 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 me, let, me, let me get you some. And I recognized, hey, that's a huge, that's a pinnacle moment, getting off of probation. And so it's not going to cost the agency anything for us just to have their business cards on day one of being off of probation. So I worked with our administrative assistant. Uh, I made sure that those business cards were on my desk a week before they were going to get off probation. And then on that very first shift of them being off probation, it was a very uh, informal, in-roll call recognition of, good job, well done. You just graduated probation. Here's your business card. And my hope was, is that token. Every time they pulled out that business card, maybe not every time, but maybe ideal, idealistically, every time they pull it out, they're going to remember the way they felt when, when everyone in the room was applauding them saying, uh, great work, you're one of us. We trust you to go out there and, and serve our citizens with us. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of other examples in the power of moments, uh, but those are some of the ones that have been impactful in my, in my leadership. Nice. So that's called the powerful moments? Uh, the Power of Moments by the power Jeff and Dan Heath. Nice. Okay. I'll be looking for that. Well, my third one is, uh, you know, I, I really struggled. Um, I thought of Manhunters by those DEA agents, uh, Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. I keep pushing those guys. They're great. They're great to talk to. They give you insight on the men themselves, their own background and their, you know, their direction towards getting to, uh, from local law enforcement to the DEA and then going to South America to track down the drug kingpin Pablo Escobar. But that's not the one I chose. I, I would choose it, but I want to go back to the future. 1999. Let's read like it's 1999. The Crime Fighter by Jack Maple, how you can make your community crime free. For me, you know, when I first picked it up, it was really... Um, insightful and transformative into how we started using evidence-based practices and statistics in coming up with what we did, why we did. And I think more than ever, we've got to rely on evidence-based practices. And I know Renee Mitchell, um, former uh, Northern California 
uh, Sargent, she's gone on to uh, a PhD and a, and a background in evidence-based policing. She just came out with a new book I'm interested in looking at. But Jack Maple um, was a, a, was a uh, deputy chief under Bill Bratton in New York in 1993 when New York crime was out of control. And I'm talking about thousands of homicides, right? And um, through his experience, um, Jack Maple got a seat at the table and said, hey, look, we need to put the cops on the dots. And who can argue with this, right? Well, of course, people can argue with it because they say, well, of course, cops are there because there are cops there and cops are generating the statistics themselves. But when you look at things like homicides or robberies, there's no denying that they're happening there. And those are also crimes where we may figure out who did it and we can say definitively who they were as opposed to uh, laying blame on a particular group. And um, in, in 1993, in the book, Maple's description of the police agency that he walked into might be familiar to a lot of us today when he says, uh, the story's the same in any police department. 40% of the force hide behind their desk. Another 40% perform competently, but without passion and without having much impact. 10% hate the job so much they try to destroy everything positive that somebody else might try to accomplish. The final 10% treat the job like a vocation. And those 10% do 90% of the work. During my patrol years, I saw the same 20 transit cops, the same 20 housing cops and the same 100 NYPD cops every day downtown at the courthouse. We were the only ones trying to arrest the bad guys. And, you know, it's unfortunate to say, but we might be seeing that kind of a trend today. And the numbers might be different in that, um, you know, a lot of cops might be laying low because of the backlash and the criticism and now COVID being a big, um, you know, uh, issue in policing today and talks of layoffs or, or outright firings for those who won't partake. And um, I think we need to look more towards things like this. And I think we can learn from history, right? We know that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So look at the crime fighter, Jack Maple with Chris Mitchell, how you can make your community crime free. A lot of good basics there that still apply today. And that was my third book. Well, I appreciate you allowing us to pick three because when we were first talking about this, I think we were going to try to do two and wow, three was hard. I, I had some honorable mentions over here that I'm not going to you know, mention, but I think we are now going into leisure. Is that correct? We are. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up to the minute law enforcement news, training and incident analysis. Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's police one, the number one.com forward slash registration. And we're back and I'm speaking with Sergeant Chris Luttrell on the books that we should be reading, or at least that 
the two of us believe we should be reading. And now we're, you know, we've, we've hashed out uh, those industry related books and we're going to move into leisure. Uh, think about sitting on a beach, sitting on a hammock poolside, wherever you like to sit back and enjoy a book. And Chris, what do you have? What's your number one leisure book for us? Number one leisure book is The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. Uh, you know, he's it's it's the story of the University of Washington rowing team that uh, that won the Olympics in 1936. I, I don't know why I'm so, so attracted to that generation of of our forefathers. I, I have three grandparents that are uh, still alive that are in their late 80s and early 90s. And uh Wow, just I feel like they they really persevered through a tough time. And if you're if you're not familiar with the book, it tells the the story of a of a young man who comes from a really really poor upbringing in in Western Washington, and he eventually goes to the University of Washington, joins the row team, and I mean they are they're not just like the the outliers. I mean they're like this is like the C team. They're not even close to varsity, but they make it to the Olympics. They win the Olympics during Nazi Germany when 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 Nazi Germany is growing, and um, wow, it 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 gives me perspective on on life and in doing doing tough things. So, well, that's you know you have a lot in common with my first leisure book, and uh, along the same lines, you know more than just a story, but also maybe inspiration and family and uh, it's Pappy Land by Wright Thompson. Wright Thompson's an ESPN writer and uh, he talks about the South and it, you get that feeling. You can smell the mint juleps. You can hear the Kentucky Derby running in the background. Um, you can smell the bourbon and, and, you know, bourbon and whiskeys are having their big heyday uh, again uh, used to be your granddaddy's drink, right? Old granddad, but it's it's huge. Uh, the bourbon industry is huge. Uh, Wright Thompson talks about meeting up with Julian Van Winkle from the famous uh, Pappy Van Winkle uh, bourbons, and uh, you know, great story. Uh, talks about his time there, his own um, family. Uh, his 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 uh, new arrival to his family, and there's some romanticism in the whiskey, romanticism in the South. And uh, after reading this book, I booked a trip for me and my sons to go there, and uh, we're going to do a tour of uh, three or four distilleries. And um, in moderation, we're going to explore uh, what Wright Thompson talks about in his book Pappy Land really thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, for my number two, uh, another Northwest author, uh, her name is Kristen Hannah, and she wrote this book called The Great Alone. And in, in the, and in, I really enjoyed this book. This was one that I read and I don't know what, what season my wife and I were in, but every time we'd go on a date, she would ask me, Hey, what's next? And I would I would retell the last chapter to her, and so we lived this out together. It was just this really special, uh, really special book. But uh, in in the inside cover, it talks about how Ernst Albright, who's a former POW, comes home from the Vietnam War a changed and volatile man. When he loses yet another job, he makes an impulsive decision. He will move his family north to Alaska, where they will live off the grid in America's last true 
frontier. He has a 13-year-old daughter named Linny, and you just fall in love with this young lady who grows up uh, in this uh, prehistoric, at least from some of our perspectives, living off of the grid in, in the outskirts, the, the back country of Alaska. And it tells a story of domestic violence. It tells a story of perseverance. It tells a story of learning a lot of life skills. And ultimately, the main character, Lenny, has to fight through it all in order to, um, to resolve who she is as a person and to, and to ultimately escape with her life. So great story, great book. And again, the fact that it's someone from the Pacific Northwest uh, just has me in love with her. Well, that's great. You know, I love those kinds of books that have a happy ending, but I really struggle with the stories that talk about, you know, really tough times or, you know, really hard times. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, sometimes I skip through those parts. I guess that's just me. Hey, my second book is Stephen King on writing. Another throwback. It's um, It was written in 2000. It's not new, but it's so enjoyable and it's revealing for anyone who aspires to write. And, you know, cops are, gosh, they have the greatest stories and they write well. They write, you know, procedurals already. They're called police reports. And um, in Stephen King's writing, it's I think its subtitle is a memoir of the craft. And when he writes he writes about what he's thinking when he writes. He write, writes about um, development of characters, development of stories, uh, the use of similes. And cops will be really familiar with this story. And like I say, cops have great stories in them. I'd love to see more short stories, if not, you know, full on nonfiction or fiction books. I mean, I know... I've been wrestling with one in my head for the past, I don't know, 10 years, and I am going to put pen to paper. I already actually started a notebook where I'm writing down character development, and uh, it will it will make it to the page at one point. Um, it's a fun read. Uh, it's insightful, and I think cops would really uh, enjoy it if you have any inkling of uh, writing, and even if not... It might give you insight on the books that you read and what to look for and think, oh, wow, that was planned. And, you know, I've had uh, Ellen Kirschman on the um, on the show before, and she talks about plant plotters and pantsers and plotters are people who write the storybook out in sequence. This is going to happen, then this, then this, and then it's going to end like this. And I think Stephen King almost talks about letting the story take its own route, right? Develop the characters, develop the plot, and then be a pantser right by the seat of your pants. Let it, let the characters take you to the conclusion. And um, yeah, I found it to be a great book and I'm definitely using uh, some of his suggestions. Well, I too have been thinking about uh, writing uh, both fiction and I've also thought about writing a memoir and this next author has actually helped me with it, meaning she carved out time to sit there and listen to me and give me some coaching tips so I didn't make the same mistakes that she did. Her name's Andy Newton. This uh, book is called The Girl from Vichy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a father of four daughters. So having uh, female heroes is kind of fun for me, right? I want to see, see girls kick butt. And uh, the fact that 
Andy is someone that I know that has, again, given me some time. She's also a cop's wife. And so she understands cops and she's a historian is kind of her background before writing. And so her books are written, uh, they're, they're rich in history. You can tell she's done the work to actually talk about true events, true places. Now, the characters might be fiction, but but the the places and some of the things that were happening are very true. And in this one, Adela uh, Imbu, she is she's engaged to marry someone in the Nazi regime, and she realizes, yeah, this guy's a total jerk. You know, uh, my words, not hers. But she escapes and she ends up joining this uh, this this uh, nunnery. It's the Sisters of Notre Dame de la Compassion, and she poses as a nun. What she doesn't realize is that these uh, these nuns here have a little secret uh, for themselves. And I don't want to give away too much in case anyone wants to pick it up. Uh, but uh, yeah, just an absolutely remarkable story. Total page turner. I'm a slow reader. Oh, wow. I mean, we're talking, if I'm reading fast, it's maybe 20 pages an hour. I mean, that's if I'm really reading fast. And uh, and this one, I think I, I had it read in like a week, week and a half, just because I, I had to get another chapter in uh, because I had to see what was about to happen with the character. Lots of cliffhangers where you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? So totally worth the read. The Girl from Vichy, I think I'm pronouncing that right, V-I-C-H-Y, and Andy Newton is the author. Oh, that's terrific. And yeah, I, I totally uh, empathize with you. I am a slow reader. My my boys make fun of me. That takes me six months to get through a book. You know, Pappy Land took me forever. And They'd see me with it and say, are you still reading that? But I like to savor a book, especially when it's a good book. Um, some I just can't get through. I'm sorry. I know there are fans of There, There, and I just couldn't finish it. I just couldn't make my way through it. Well, my last one was really a tough uh, wrestle. Uh, my favorite uh, novelists are Stephen King, Tom Clancy, James Elroy, James Lee Burke, Lee Child, Tony Hillerman. Mark Cameron, who's taken over the mantle and he's writing the Clancy novels as well as his own characters. Um, I like Michael Connelly books. I like his characters, but it seems to me more and more as I analyze them, you know, the Bosch characters, you know, Heronius, Heronimus, Harry Bosch, uh, all his characters are evil or they're bad representations of cops, even Harry, right? The there's always that sort of the ends justify the means that I don't always agree with. So that and the fact that he runs through buildings doing searches, yelling out clear every time, shouts them out when you're secretly searching a freaking room. No, no. Um, my, my third book is Dad Bod, Dad Bod McGee Goes on a Beer Run. Dad Bod McGee Goes on a Beer Run by Jose Mercado. It's an industry professional who wrote this book for adults and children. It's wonderfully illustrated by Charta Boersboom from the Netherlands. And it's a whimsical young tale of a young dad and his toddler as they go out for a beer run. And it's a kid's book on the surface, but indeed it parallels with an age old saga that I'm not going to reveal. It's great for new dads. And you know, when I look at the uh, social media pages of the support for cops, more and more and more, I see uh, the wives, the spouses, the loved ones of people in law enforcement who have young kids. 
And I love seeing the support and I love the idea. I mean, if, you know, if, if the, the fact that they're going for a beer run doesn't put you off, I think it's a great book to read <laughs> to your toddler. And uh, it's about a, a dad and, and bonding with his, with his child. So that's my whimsical third leisure book. And believe it or not, I got through it all in one sitting. That sounds like that's uh, attainable for any of us, regardless of our, our reading prowess. Hey, thanks a lot for inviting me to do this, Jim. This was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed sharing book titles with you. You've given me a few that I've read. Uh, and it's just, uh, I think for me as a, as a cop, uh, I was a child crime detective for a while and I got to a spot where that stuff really bothered me. And, uh, and I had some anxiety and reading became this, this, uh, this kind of escape. It made it to where I could have a heart rate of 90. And if I sat down to read a book, it dropped down to the sixties. And, uh, obviously it's something different for all of us, whether you go out on the golf course and that's kind of your, your happy place. Uh, but I think of books as a gift, I don't do it cause I have to, I do it because it, uh, it's, it's good for me. And, and it's just fun uh, reading some of uh, some of the adventures that I get the chance to read. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they are adventures, right? And I can immerse myself in a story just like a movie, right? If I'm in a dark theater, or even in my own room where I'm watching a movie, I can totally transport myself there. Uh, and with a book, I can do it, you know, waiting for my plane or on a plane or before I go to bed, uh, just about anywhere on vacation. I love taking a book. Um, and, and it's a great alternative to sliding your thumbs back and forth across your, your phone or your iPad. So, um, I think it makes us better. It gives us a different perspective. It, it gives us insight on the world outside beyond what we are and what we do. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, it's always great talking with you. I love your insight on these books. I'm definitely going to look a couple of them up. And uh, thanks, Chris. Great talking with you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Hey, to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you found today's show interesting. If you want to hear about a movie review or if you want to talk about something else or hear from someone else in the industry or something that supports uh, law enforcement and public safety, let me know. Write us at policingmatters at police1.com. That's our email, policingmatters at police1.com. Drop us a line, say hello, tell us what you think about the show. And we're glad to uh, steer things your way. Maybe we'll, we'll mention your letter on a mailbag episode. Hey, be safe. Great seeing you on the show. Talk to you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley. Thanks for listening.